Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the post-Buckbeak escape celebration of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who would honestly probably invite our future selves in for a drink. My name is Sarah. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? You are hitting on one of the points that I found most confusing about this story, is that apparently in this universe, if you encounter your other self, you just inherently want to murder them? I we get confused I, but, by them or something because clearly magic isn't real and that's not a reasonable explanation. <laughs> yeah, but sir, I'm, I'm with you. If I run into my other self, we are having a talk over a nice cup of tea. It'll be lovely. I have questions. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so we are in this, the longest chapter that we have ever done, I believe, of the third book of Harry Potter, um, Hermione's Secret, which is chapter 21. Yeah, 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid-fire recap that I am already regretting signing up for. Uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes. We have Newbie's Notes with Spencer. We award house points. And then there are questions and queries. Mm-hmm. To start things off, though, uh, BJ gets to set a time limit for you to go through a chapter on the recap. I do. BJ, what, what are you going with here? Well, I kind of feel like you should get about a minute because half of this has happened before. <laughs> Yes, but we need to know exactly what we are encountering that was happened before. Right. And so um, I think 2.15 gives you a little bit more leeway. Um, and luckily, you don't have a necklace to, you know, go back and, and re-record some of it. So we can't get, you know, a stereo recap. Well, but... okay. I will, I will take your 2.15 and not meet it at all and just go from where we are. <laughs> All right, so this may be the point you'll lose a couple points, but I think you built up a good enough of a bank that it won't matter. I, yeah, I do think that I'm going to lose some points here. Um, I did my notes and went through them once, and it was nearly three minutes. I cut out like two sentences and then just sort of tossed the book away from me, and that was the end of it. So get ready, guys. All right, I, I would recommend not going for any enhancers this time around, and let's just see how it goes. I'm just going to finish it, Spencer. We, we have a plan. Do you have your uh, time turner ready? Uh, the giant novelty stopwatch sits broken on the other side of the room, so we'll be doing this cur- uh, courtesy of Google. All right. So Harry comes to in the hospital wing listening to Snape give a um, particular account of what happened to Cornelius Fudge. Shocking, Snape's the hero and Sirius the villain of this story. By the time Harry has actually come to, they're gone, but Hermione is awake and Ron is still unconscious. Harry asks for Dumbledore and Madame Pomfrey tells him they've caught Sirius and he's set for the Dementor's kiss. Harry freaks, Fudge and Snape come back. Harry tries to explain to Fudge. Snape convinces Fudge they've been confounded and don't know what happened. Dumbledore finally arrives and sends... Fudge and Snape away, but Snape has a few choice words about Sirius before they go. Dumbledore cuts off Harry and Hermione's flood of explanation. It's their word against Snape's, especially as Lupin is still somewhere in the forest. But Dumbledore believes them, so they have one more chance, which he explains in the most confusing of terms, although Hermione seems to get it. They need more time. Three terms should do it, three turns should do it, and more than one innocent life may be saved. He leaves, locks them both in, and Harry has questions. Hermione pulls out a tiny hourglass, the time turner. McGonagall fought to get her at the beginning of the year so she could take all her classes. She takes them back in time three hours, and they must not be seen, especially by themselves. 
They're back at the point in the evening where they're uh, heading down to Hagrid's hut, and Harry realizes the second life to be saved, Buckbeak. Not only that, that he, um, he is how Sirius will get away. So they follow themselves through the grounds and hide in the forest. Many conversations ensue about whether they can just go snatch scabbers, but they would inevitably be seen. Waiting until the execution committee has come and seen Buckbeak there, they then lure him away into the forest while past Dumbledore helpfully delays his execution committee. Livid, uh, McNair is livid, Hagrid awash in, in relief, and Dumbledore amused. Harry and Hermione wait with Buckbeak in the forest, watching the whole contingent of people and animals make their way to the Whomping Willow. While waiting for everyone to re-emerge, Harry ruminates on where the Patronus that saved him, that saved them from the Dementors came from. He thinks his dad cast it, and Hermione, very gently, thinks he's nuts. Finally, everyone emerges from the Whomping Willow again, but Harry wants to go see who cast the Patronus. He heads toward the lake, follows the swarm of Dementors, and he watches in horror as the Dementors descend and no one comes to help. Finally, he realizes it must be him who's supposed to have cast the Patronus, and he leaps out, sending a shimmering stag across the water. As the figure comes back to him, he realizes that it is sort of his dad after all. Prongs, even though it was himself that he saw casting it. Uh, they watch Snape take their past selves and Sirius back to the castle, McNair go on to get the Dementors, and they climb up on Buckbeak to fly him up to Sirius in Flitwick's office. They break in, bustle Sirius onto Buckbeak, and send them out into the night. If BJ had given you 2.30, you would have been closer. Uh, <laughs> 2.35 and change. You know what? I will, I will honestly take that at this point. Hey, your two sentences took off a lot from where you started. Indeed. Um, this is, well, the chapter where all of the things happen again, so that's where we are. To, to an almost frustrating degree. Yes. It's just like, I, I've got a lot of checkboxes I need to go through to wrap this story up. Let's do all of them now. All of them in one chapter, please. My goodness. So, BJ, what are you wheezing about tonight? Um... So I actually have a great word this time, and Ooh. I'm very happy about. Uh, wangle is a great word. Where is wangle used in this chapter? It is used very early on. Um, okay. It is basically uh, in the first page or two. Uh, it is in the first page. It is in essentially the third paragraph where uh, it is Order, Order of Merlin, second class, mm. I'd say. First class, if I can wangle it. Yes. Good call. And for some reason i was like is this a weird version of wrangle because that does kind of seem like something it could be mm-hmm. um i wasn't familiar with wangle and it's a great word which is obtain something that is desired by persuading others to comply or by ni- manipulating events so it's kind of a metaphorical wrangling yeah but it's just a great word and um i've been missing those for a while <laughs> <laughs> it's a more it's a more wiggly wrangling yes um and then the other thing that I want to wheeze about um, now, and there will be some wheezing later in questions, is that messing around with time paradoxes as a way to explain essentially how everything works is just not a plot device that should be used in a magical world. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's fair. I will also say that this is the like only instant of time instance of time messing about that we get and it is crucial to the plot of this story and at no point do we ever mess with time again in this series really i mean they've we now know the device exists and it never comes back up again so i i have other questions and i think i know the answer to one of them okay which is a little bit unfortunate because i happen to have seen the last movie okay um do I need to do earmuffs? No, 
What I'm going to say is how many of the random plot devices that sum up each book mm-hmm. are just for that book? Um, I mean, there are a f- Hmm. <laughs> There's more. Than, there are a couple. And there are a couple, I but think, they actually also mostly come up in the last book. Like I think that yeah, that that's yeah. sort of what I was like. Yeah. I think I know a bunch of things that come back. And they it's come kind back. Of like yeah, um, Spencer, you're making the joke of uh, this chapter is VH1's greatest hits before we started. I think the last book is going to really amuse you because it's going to be uh, the mix of the greatest of (laughs) hits from There are are some new singles in the last book, I would say. In the beginning or the end? Um... Because I have a feeling the end is just going to be like, remember these things from all these other books? They're important and we're going to bring them together and save the day. Uh, some of that, that might happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are other things <laughs> that we have never before encountered. But shut up, BJ. <laughs> <laughs> Man, how many conversations in that way? <laughs> That's what wizard wheezing is all about. <laughs> it is. So, shall we uh, do some newbie notes? And I have them ready if you're interested. Please. As always. Okay. Uh, Snape's actions at the start of this chapter I find very interesting because half of it was perfectly expected. Him taking the role of the hero on himself could have seen that coming from a mile away. Mm-hmm. Him not casting the kids in as bad of a light as he reasonably could have? Surprising. Is that he paints them as being you know, rebellious, foolish, deserving of less special treatment. Those are Those are on brand. But he says that they were effectively mind-controlled and weren't responsible for their own actions. In this moment, he could get them expelled. Easily. They attacked a professor in defense of a known felon. But he chooses not to. And I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts about why he chooses not to pull that trigger. At least not right now. Well, this is newbies' notes, not questions. Okay, we'll come back. We can put a pin in it. But it, it caught me off guard. Is that Snape is the vengeful bastard of a, of a person that would usually... Make immediate use of what tools he has to end you in a way that he finds most amusing. Is he savoring it for later? Is he keeping blackmail? I don't think so, because it's, again, built on a universe that if someone walks out of your point of view, they're innocent no matter what they did. <laughs> I'm going to so bet I... that by this point, there was somewhat of a an outline for the entire series, and <laughs> Snape being terrible to the children would have been problematic for future books. Maybe, sure. I would also, I would posit that Snape's number one goal here is to get back at Sirius Black. Mm -hmm. And Cornelius Fudge, particularly, has always had a soft spot for Harry. And going after Harry too um, vigorously in this moment might jeopardize his favorite outcome for Sirius Black. Right. So this is just a signing of relative levels of importance. He's I, not letting the... Yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, he's, he's not He's not letting the goal of the perfect interfere with the accomplishment of the good yes. here. That, okay, that, then that could, that could make a perfect degree of sense. That's a very important uh, lesson to learn in all of life. Yeah. <laughs> well, we also get to see here, and I enjoy these little moments of Orbridge reminded that a person that we don't normally get to see cast magic that much is actually remarkably powerful. Of where we previously saw the kind of 
group mess that was our collection of heroes trying to transport themselves across the lawn to get back to the university. Hmm. They're all having to work together, and the slightest degree of interference causes it to all fall apart. Meanwhile, Snape, when left to his lonesome, just conjures four stretchers and just escorts everyone back, apparently. Which, that's kind of a power move. Congrats to him. I wonder if those stretchers are kept in the same place that all of the purple sleeping bags are kept. (laughs) There is just this magical hammer space that these (laughs) objects are coming from. Uh, I'll save this one for questions. Uh, Snape, though he's very carefully rehearsed his account, and as we've talked about, perhaps is trying to go for the lower hanging fruit to make sure he gets it, steps into it kind of bad when he's when he's confronted by Dumbledore. Dumbledore clearly always has Snape a little bit on edge and knocks him off his game. But here, when Snape says... Dumbledore is coming back from having interviewed Sirius. Snape says, oh, I, I bet he told you about false accusations of Peter Pettigrew. And Dumbledore just immediately zones in on him and says, yes, that is exactly what he said. <laughs> I'm going to leave... I'm going to leave it as an unanswered question how you've got that account down perfectly right now, given the events you just told us. Which Snape pretty quickly realizes that he kind of just screwed up, but can't do anything about it now. Uh, I'm reminded that Dumbledore is totally the guy that has nicknames for everybody, and Poppy is a delightfully... It's a very much Dumbledore nickname for another person in a way that you probably shouldn't refer to another, another professor that you want people to respect. What's her first name, though? I think is it's it? Poppy, Yeah. Oh, okay. I just assumed that was the nickname based off her last name. I think her name is... Well, I, yeah, I, I assumed that that was her first name. Uh, Although we, Poppy, we Poppy look... Pumphrey is a really difficult name to be dealing with in the world. Hang on. We, we, <laughs> we're looking this up. One second. Nope, it's Poppy Pumphrey. Damn it. J.K. Rowling, that was just lazy. <laughs> was it lazy? This is where the bar is set for laziness. Not. This was the point I drew on. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, so Dumbledore's confrontation with Snape is interesting, but nobody raises their voice, but this is actually a really tense moment of where everybody else has been left the room, he wants to talk to the kids privately, and Snape doesn't leave, and even approaches Dumbledore with just acid in his voice. That's a really tense moment between these two. It really brings questions to my mind about what is Snape's opinion of Dumbledore? This is a guy that has, over the course of several books now, actively, at least from Snape's perspective, conspired against him. Has done everything in his power to ruin Snape's hard-worked-for plans to hurt other people. And I can't... It almost just raises questions of loyalty. If Dumbledore trusts Snape completely, I don't know whether that feeling is mutual based on scenes like this. Snape's kind of getting to, like, the end of his rope with this man. So... I'm going to get to this in questions, but I think that there's somewhat of an aspect of Snape is knows that he's more in the dark about things than Dumbledore is and hates that. Mm. And so like there is a sense of trust, but there's also the like, why are you keeping me in the dark if we're sort of all at least nominally on the same side? And also I think Snape hates that Dumbledore is basically just a better wizard than him in every way and possibly even in potion Mm. with respect to dumbledore knowing more that seems like a very intentional act on dumbledore's part and he has no no (laughs) desire to bring anybody else into the loop no uh and that's kind of shown here i mean dumbledore's plan here with the kids is the most dumbledore plan ever i mean this this is he's perfectly right with a few of the foundational assumptions that start this on that Sirius has done himself no favors and the kids won't be believed. The next leap that he goes to is that I can't do anything to help. 
and I do not believe this man. <laughs> I do not believe it at all. This is a world of magic and you're friggin' Dumbledore. There's a lot that you can do. However, you being the quintessential I want them to have a learning experience kind of professor has decided a much better hands-off way of approaching this, at least from your point of view. Also, the amount of time that he takes to hint at what they need to do when he oh, has God. absolutely no time to explain things is very funny. <laughs> yeah, and I got a note down here later that Dumbledore's subtlety about Buckbeak is infuriating, infuriatingly in character. It's like the whole line about there's two lives that could be saved. It's like, dude! You're literally asking us to wrap up the entire plot for you, when you probably could do it yourself. Couldn't you just give us a roadmap? How much of a learning experience do you really want this to pay? Uh, The answer is a lot. Very sort of on-brand for um, this type of moment. By about, certainly a little bit in the next book, but definitely in books five on, Harry (laughs) and Ron and Hermione... Get very frustrated with this idea that they are being given lo- learning experiences by Dumbledore, who could in fact just explain things to them. I mean, isn't there some magical means that they could just check whether you've been subject to a Confundium charm or something? Actually, no, there aren't. That's, our, that's what, actually a previous plot point story is that you can't tell whether somebody's been charmed or not. Because mm-hmm. that was the defense that everybody said about, I wasn't actually a loyal follower of Voldemort. All right. So they can't check based on that. Well, uh, they say that, but lots of things seem to happen that have been said or not said that happen. As shown by some moments that happen here in their time travel adventures, Dumbledore seems to like he just exists to be the exception to all magical rules because the level of awareness that this man seems to display as to what exactly is going on long before he should probably reasonably know what's going on is just fun to unpack. <laughs> uh, structurally, it's interesting to see, well, I almost had one theory about why Dumbledore is doing this plan rather than something else, is that the t- time... Time travel, as it's done in this universe, is very strictly linear. There's no alternative time time frames. Mm-hmm. Everything that has happened has already happened. Everything that you're doing is informing the present that you already know by going back in time. So perhaps Dumbledore just already knows that this is what happened because he's effectively already seen it happen in terms of what events he knows that the kids don't yet, like with Buckbeak. So maybe he's just bowing to what he feels of the winds of the inevitable. It's such a rigidly linear time travel, I almost have a hard time going through it. Um, But maybe that helps explain some of his actions. Or, again, the more likely scenario, Dumbledore is just being giddy inside that I've got an opportunity for them to teach themselves. (laughs) And I would would point out that I think that that kind of rigid linearity that you were talking about, Spencer, is even more on display in the sort of part of the movie that deals with this scenario. Um, there are all kinds of little details that are the sort of like, well, they thought one thing was happening in the current timeline that they were in. Turns out they just mm-hmm. interpreted it wrong. Right. We've got, a, we've got a few of those here, particularly with respect to Buckbeak. And we also mm-hmm. have a moment with Harry that I'm very much in line with Hermione's response to it. But we'll get there in a second. Yep. Uh, structurally, I've, the pre- I was going to say, ahead. I just wish that they did something like uh, Spaceballs, where it's like, oh, we captured their stunt doubles. Because <laughs> that's essentially uh, what's happening here. Yeah, but apparently if this if, if this occurred in the Harry Potter universe, they would have immediately murdered their stunt doubles. Because apparently <laughs> that's just how that goes. Uh, structurally, this, again, as Peter referenced before, this is kind of a weird greatest hits chapter, as told with character commentary turned on. <laughs> is that we get to see... 
kind of highlights of the, the entirety of the book from about, I suppose, three hours back, but told from an outside perspective as they kind of second guess and judge their own actions, which is interesting. It makes for a very long recap for Sarah to have to go through, but for the rest of us, it, it's kind of a non-entity of a chapter throughout most of it, because we've already seen this and you're not adding much other than a couple key moments. Yes. As a use of time travel in fiction and, and in this story, it's fine. It all comes across as kind of neat. It's a, it's a, I really don't like the one chapter we get in every one of these Harry Potter books of where <laughs> every single lingering plot point is resolved so that then they can have their goodbyes and go home in the next chapter, which is so obviously what this moment is. I feel like that's the most British thing that's like, okay, we're going to sit down and have tea and then... <laughs> Call it a night. There um, are rules of decorum here. But the other thing that I find very funny is this is like the most third, third person narrative <laughs> that you could possibly yeah. have. Yeah. Um, as said, Dumbledore playing hide the ball with respect to Buckbeak is just, it's very in character, but it could just so nightmarishly go wrong in a way that Dumbledore is just apparently willing to risk. If they hadn't put two and two together that he meant Buckbeak, they would have failed. There's nothing they could have done. Buckbeak was the lynch point for this entire plan. And he doesn't tell them that. Well, I, although there I, I, are, you know, how many other options were there for it to be? Well, again... Especially if their only plan is, well, I guess we just follow our past selves around and figure it out. Yeah, but they've been in... Our main characters are, can, have, you know, bandied between being very bright and infuriatingly stupid at various moments in these stories... <laughs> So it's, Don't want to assume they're going to see the plan here. It's almost definite that had it been Ron instead of yes. Hermione, oh, that God, the time us. turner, Dumbledore would have been like, okay, so to turn it, you have to... <laughs> I've prepared you written notes. Here's a checklist. Yeah. I've actually already traveled back in time to make sure that this would happen fine. Let's watch the video of how I did it. <laughs> it's called the Harry Potter Mo movies. You'll find out about them later. Uh... But so what is now, now? Is it then now? Or is it soon? Everything that, everything that has happened now is happening now. Uh, Spaceballs, wonderful film. Uh, it, interesting moment here with respect to Buckbeak, of where previously we didn't really, we got to hear some of these lines that were happening before from the kids' perspective and be outside the cabin, but now we've got a much more direct view on them. And it almost looks like Dumbledore is engaging in intentional delay tactics. Uh, almost? It is you know, very... Painfully clear that Dumbledore <laughs> knows exactly what's going on and is saying the right things at the right time. Oh yeah, I mean his level of amusement when Buckbeak is gone is just—he's. This is a very smug man that we've got in front of us here. I mean, this is just the magical version of Paycheck. I think the movie was. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that works. Anyway. It, it raises questions about what degree Dumbledore, even in the past, knew exactly what's going on. Is there always only one Dumbledore, no matter what point in story that he's actually in? Uh, Dumb it's, it's just a mispronunciation. His name is really Dumbledore, and it's because... <laughs> ah. Ah. The, the way he, that, that he's so powerful, he's, he's continually doing time loops. <laughs> okay, so he's... And in Germany, he's Dumbledore, so... <laughs> Okay, good to know that Dumbledore is built around the same logic as the mimics in Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> he's so scarily competent because he's already done it before. Uh, Buckbeak has now become a really weird character in this story because he's 
now proving essential to the resolution of the plot. But he's been such a weird plot thread through all of these, all of this book to end in this moment. It, I guess it's fine. They needed apparently a J.K. Rowling decided she need, needed a winged creature to rescue Sirius Black from a window at some point before the story was done. But how well it is meshed with the story or not, I'm not sure. Would you call it a wing and a prayer? No, no, I never would, because <laughs> it hurts me, B.J. And you know this. Still clever. Uh, Mm-hmm. Well, Sorry. I was just going to say, if it if it makes you feel any better about Buckbeak being part of the resolution of this story, uh, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but I don't think it matters. Ooh, Buckbeak comes up again. We see Buckbeak again. In a way that time travel apparently doesn't? Yes, he does not time travel to visit us again. <laughs> okay, just making sure. In terms of our plot resolution points, I'm fascinated to see that Buckbeak is coming back while time travel isn't. Yes. I would have bet money on one of those other rather than the other. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. It's Buckbeak we're keeping here. All right. Uh, in terms of discussing time travel, we've got to go into Harry, Harry mis- confusing himself as his dad and that whole scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I'm kind of with Hermione here of where Harry explains what happened and he's, and he asks, does that make sense? And Hermione just says, I don't know. Let's get back to the plot. <laughs> That's kind of my feeling on that. It's like, you knew that you could do it because you already saw you'd done it. Fine. Sure. This is a very strictly linear time thread. There is one plot line, and that is it. Once it has happened, it has happened. And so you are, apparently, you just instantaneously understanding how time travel works in this universe were able to play your cards right there. Okay. I, sure. (laughs) I've I've got kind of mixed feelings about this entirety of this chapter. It's got some kind of fun moments, but there's a lot of... Well, okay, sure. That helps resolve the plot right now. Uh, seeing that his Patronus is prongs, though, was very heartwarming. And I, actually, I really did enjoy that. Uh, Sirius Black's escape at the end. This character's had a really rough road in this book. The man has had some remarkable highs and some remarkable lows, and in the end, kind of finishes roughly where he started, at least in the sense that he's still an outlaw on the lam. Mm-hmm. He's improved things around the margins, he now has a hippogriff. That's great. He's effectively established a relationship with his godson. Is that who Harry is again? Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Which is good. That'll be an important part of him, you know, reestablishing himself as a character in this universe. But from a purely legal standpoint, nothing's improved from him. In fact, things have probably gotten worse. The level of extra crimes they're adding to his tally is probably not great, though... Apparently, it's already enough to merit essentially execution, which we're going to get to here in a minute during questions, so I guess there's not much worse he can really do. And that actually wraps up my newbie's notes. Uh, Obviously, I've got questions we'll get to, but first we need to decide who won and lost this chapter. So, I think we have a couple of of options for winners. Mm -hmm. Um, Buckbeak had a good chapter. Buckbeak had a good run. (laughs) But really, I mean, I think the winner, like the actual winner of this chapter has to be Harry, simply because he has kind of done the thing he was supposed to do. He has successfully casted uh, Expecto Patronum. He got a a sort of avatar of his father to come back to him. Um, And Dumbledore seems to believe him in the world. So all of that seems pretty good. Yeah, it's a good run. I mean, I, I, I'd almost be inclined to say Dumbledore is the ultimate winner here, but well. <laughs> that's that's so background at this point. I can't, it's not even fun to declare it. It's like Dumbledore's always the winner. He's always got a plan. He is he is spinning his web. 
Um, yes. Loser is a little bit harder for me. I mean, you know, Spencer, I think you just made a, like, actual, actually pretty compelling case that um, Sirius Black, despite not being soul-sucked at this point, um, is in a pretty bad situation. But it, it's dramatically improved since the last chapter. And if we go then, by that, those rules... That, that, is, that is true. He is not actively imprisoned and soul-sucked at this point. Let, let's compare, though, where he was two chapters ago. The man has had a roller coaster of a ride to end, end out this book. That is true, but the rules that we have limited ourselves to <laughs> so far in the past two books and 20 chapters is that how do they start the chapter? How do they end the chapter? You know, the real loser of this chapter, though, Snape, is Snape. Yeah. He doesn't it's know Snape. it yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to his reaction next book. I mean, <laughs> the man is going to be beside himself he, next chapter. He's going to be beside himself. He kind of does know that, like, if he had won, yeah. a lot more would have happened to our, our terrible trio. And Dumbledore wouldn't have basically ushered him out with his tail tucked between his legs. So Wait, it's, it's like, one, go ahead, Spencer. I said, it's like one of those things where Snape's plot savvy enough to know that the moment Dumbledore inserts himself in the plot, he's probably screwed, but he doesn't see how it could happen. <laughs> Which is probably also partially why he kept going back with Dumbledore, not to anything that Sirius Black did in relation to um, Peter Pettigrew and the blowing up of the street and all of the things that actually landed him in Azkaban, but always goes back to his teenage self um, mm-hmm. and like those original sins. But the other loser of this chapter, uh, the Dementors. <laughs> Good point. Good point. They never get to soul sucking. Constantly anybody. having their prey snatched away from them. Um, so I yeah, like lots of losers. As- should we move on to questions? Sure. Uh, mind if I start with Dementor soul-sucking? Go for it. Sure, Spencer. Uh, is there any legal authority by which, when or where, the Dementors can engage in the Dementor's kiss? Do, I mean, everybody's just resigned themselves to it's going to happen. Is this actually a legal exercise that's occurring now, or are they just kind of pissed off enough they're demanding it happen? No, they this do it would for have pay. been... <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say, if they do it for pay, it has to be filmed, because then it's art. <laughs> Lord. Sarah, please. Um, this has to be on, at least in, in this situation, it, it, my understanding is that it has to be on Cornelius Fudge's order. Wow. So he's issuing an execution order right now. That, that's my understanding, yes. Now, the Dementors might have been clamoring for this as well, um, but... You know, purportedly, the Dementors are under Ministry control. <laughs> well, ba- based on the last chapter where they were about to engage in the Dementors' kiss with or without authority, uh-huh. I there seems to be an element of Cornelius Fudge holding a wolf by the tail. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, Cornelius Fudge would like to think that they are under his control. <laughs> wow. That, if, if ever there was a line that summarized Cornelius Fudge as a character, <laughs> Cornelius Fudge would like to think he's in cr- control of the situation. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. So do we do a deep Dementor dive, or do we delve another day? Um, we deep dive and delve another day, but for the moment, it's deferred. 
Fair enough. So I have a question. Okay. Um, How have Hermione's hapless hours happened? (laughs) Um... So we have a lot of, she can't be seen in the same place at the same time. And Mm -hmm. I understand that she's very good at planning out her time, but does no one else know her schedule? Like this is there, like no one has commented on her being at two places at once. They've just commented on her falling asleep. Uh, Well, there have been a lot of comments on her schedule. Right. Chiefly Ron is concerned about her schedule. Um, and I think like the only the only real time that we have gotten comments on her being in two places at once is that is a sort of after the fact kind of thing where she has been talking about a class that Ron has sussed out she couldn't possibly have been at because she was in class at the same time right. with them. Right. Um, go ahead, Spencer. Um, no, I, didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, not at all. Um, well, I was just going to say, I guess it's one of those things of where they're kind of lucky that Hogwarts is as sprawling as it is, mm-hmm. because if she ever had two classes that were right next to each other, that would be problematic. Yeah. And, and even more so, the paths between classes change all the time and are unpredictable. <laughs> and so all of this nonsense, I assume, is just obviated by, let's never discuss this again, because it's silly. Because then Hermione would have absolutely no way of knowing whether she'd come into contact with herself. She's been, she has not been harried while hiding and haunting the hallowed halls of Hogwarts. <laughs> I would also, you know, it's interesting because Hermione, I wonder if it doesn't actually matter as much if Hermione sees herself because she knows her present self or past self or whatever would <laughs> know that she has the time turner. I think it might actually just be a problem for Harry when they are going back. Like once it's unrevealed, like when it's not revealed, Harry will have a problem. But once it's revealed, you can keep doing as much time travel as you want. If you are going back to an iteration of yourself that knows that you have the time turner, then you might be okay. But Harry did not know that the time turner exists. So it's the surprise then that matters. It's like, to, to reference another time travel movie, it's like in Back to the Future where... If you encounter your, your your past self unknowingly, you just instantaneously pass out, while Doc Brown, on the other hand, is able to have a conversation with his past self because he knows how it works. I think that might be the case. And so then, if Hermione meets herself in the hallways because she a staircase moved while she's trying to get to different classes, then maybe it's not that big of a deal. Ah. So, I, I guess Although my, if someone my... else witnesses her meeting herself on the stairway, that might be a yeah, problem. Yeah, that would be problematic. Um... So, so that does answer my question about the uh, terrible time tra- turn or trouble taking two to tango. Lord, uh, it actually does cut to a point I left out of my of my newbie's notes about with all the aspects of the time travel in the story. The one I find least believable is Hermione getting this device in the first place. Mm-hmm. Is that if this is indeed the utmost law, the mo- like she describes this as being like the most illegal thing you can do, and I don't care. Spencer, that's great. It brings me to legality laws and leeway and therein. Man, BJ, you were on fire with the alliteration this, t- this time. It, I don't care what kind of letter of recommendation she got from McGonagall to the Ministry of Magic. She, a 12, 13-year-old is not getting permission to use the most illegal device known to man. Even if you trust her, what stops her from losing it or someone taking it from her? Yeah. How many? Are, is there only one time-turner? This was going to be exactly my point. I'm not, I don't know, I guess, but my impression is that this is like the only one. It's certainly the only one we see. 
No one else seems <laughs> she's, to have she's one. She's effectively got... Although I do have, I have, now that I think about it, and we won't know this until, we won't encounter this until the fifth book, but I do believe if there are more of them, I know where they might be kept. Interesting. I wonder if, like, different major character professors have major magical items, and so this is McGonagall's, and the way she uses it is giving it to Hermione, because the most McGonagall thing in McGonagall's book is to do more classwork. And Maybe this is how McGonagall became McGonagall. That would be very on brand. And <laughs> I might be why that, she I would read that short story. Spends all of her yeah. time in like house dresses because she's still catching up on sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean this seems like the this is just adding to the list of incredibly powerful magical artifacts that our main characters have gotten in this story that everyone's just kind of treating as no big deal. Where a couple books ago, things of considerably seemingly less power were treated as world-changing objects. Is that this time turner is a a massively powerful creation, particularly if it's indeed like the only one of itself in existence, which it might well be. Same thing with you know the Marauder's Map. These are very powerful magical objects that everyone's just kind of like, oh, isn't that cool? This is the tool by which I resolve the plot, rather than this makes the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, a philosopher's stone look like bullshit by comparison. So this is like in the second book when they all of a sudden are second years and they go to greenhouse three and they could die. Yeah. <laughs> There's some, some serial escalation happening. Here. <laughs> and that was sort of my other question to do with actually both Mar- the Marauders map and the time turner. Were there ever instances with the Marauders map that Hermione was on there twice and they just, ignored it and are we just Hmm. going to ignore that as something that had to have happened yeah i this is great question i think this has come this has been a question that has come up in the fandom although i will you know i guess the generous read which is my job here is to give you all the generous read is that every time we we see harry consulting the marauders map he's not wearing his glasses (laughs) well he's not in class so presumably yeah. Hermione would not be time-turning I, and be I mean, in two places at once. It, it, it's also the Marauder's Map here. The thing would have a sense of humor if that kind of break in reality occurred. <laughs> like, there would just be a giant floating question mark on Hermione's double figure. Or that little figure would say Hermione, but there'd be a tiny little goatee on it or something. <laughs> um, so I have one last question. Okay. Does Dumbledore do divination? <laughs> Dumbledore uh, declines doing divination but he dabbles in other doodattery. <laughs> wow, Sarah, that was a remarkable non-answer you just engaged in right there. I, I mean, Dumbledore knows things. Does he do oh. divination? I, not really, although he does seem to like Professor Trelawney. I, he seems like he's the only person that tolerates Professor Trelawney, but even then he said before that... That is that, also true. <laughs> I mean, have we actually seen Professor Dumbledore talk about uh, Trelawney's divination before about whether he believes it or not or whether he thinks she actually engages in it just wait until the next chapter Spencer <laughs> oh god Sarah you get there's one chapter left in this book and you still got to do that <laughs> <sighs> well that's a wonderfully on-brand moment to wrap things up with I think <laughs> I think so too so next week we have the very last chapter of um, book three we are owl post again I look forward to uh, going through that with you guys and seeing what comes in the mail. Which, again, this has got to be one of my top five most adorable starter images to a chapter. The 
image of the owl carrying the giant oversized letter in its beak. That must be one of the local delivery owls. Otherwise, that pack, that letter is the size of a middle envelope. I mean, if they're always doing everything on large scroll work, it kind of fits. True, but if it was on scroll work, would you even need to fit it into a letter? Can you just do a tube? I mean, that'd be really weird to me <laughs> on an owl's ankle having this, like, foot and a half long tube. The owl is just flying in circles at this point. Oh, come on. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on it. What is the name of the Weasley's owl again? Errol. Can we totally picture Errol with the giant oversized scrolls dangling behind it? Yes, although he doesn't need that to fly in circles, so. <laughs> and if they have to carry more than one, you just get like a wind chime effect. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, they would intentionally attach bills. Oh boy. Well, y'all, we're really looking forward to the next chapter and how this book wraps up. And yeah, we'll see when it comes. We'll see when we do it. Sounds good. Ooh.